All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome again to Faith. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here with Laura and some others. And it's good to have you here with us. Uh, we are in week two of a series entitled Burned on the Book of Philemon. Uh, if you weren't here last weekend, uh, just by way of review, um, this, this is a, a little book kind of buried deep in the New Testament. And it's written by the Apostle Paul to a guy named Philemon, right? Not, no trick questions. So, and uh, really, the, the, the letter is written to Philemon because Paul's concerned about Philemon. After Philemon has had a, a, a negative interaction, he's, he feels like he's gotten burned by a guy who was enslaved to him named Onesimus. Now, if you weren't with us last weekend and you hear that word enslaved, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? It's worth going back, jumping online, and listening to last weekend's message because we address this issue more in that message. But one of the things we pointed out last week was that um, slavery in the first century Greco-Roman world was a radically different institution than slavery as we understood it here in our country. Same term, two radically different concepts. One of the examples we talked about last weekend was how in the first century Greco-Roman world, somebody who is enslaved could earn money, enough money to purchase their freedom, and oftentimes when they were able to do that, chose to remain enslaved because the benefits associated with slavery in that world, both financially and socially, outweighed those that were associated with freedom. That's, that's not a dynamic you saw in our country's past. Same term to radically different institutions. So Paul is writing to Philemon because he's concerned. Philemon has felt burned by Onesimus. And he's concerned about how Philemon is going to respond. Because Paul understands what is at stake for Philemon in the midst of all of this. That if Philemon gives into the very real temptation to go bitter and to go vengeful and to go resentful in the midst of feeling burned, Paul understands what's at stake, what, what that will cost Philemon. How, how giving into that temptation, you know, Philemon's got all of this spiritual momentum that's just been rolling in his life, and it will come to a standstill if he gives into that temptation. How, how Philemon, if he gives into that temptation, there's this wall that will go up, a barrier between himself and God. And if how Philemon gives into that temptation, it will cripple him. And moving forward in ministry, participating in what God is doing in his life moving forward. And so Paul writes to Philemon about this. And Paul asks Philemon to do arguably the most difficult thing a person could be asked to do when they feel burned by another individual. He asks him to say no to bitterness and resentment and revenge. And to instead say yes to mercy and grace and forgiveness, to be reconciled to Onesimus. And then last week, we kind of wrapped things up and said, hey, what was true for Philemon and the person he felt burned by? What was at stake for Philemon? That's true for you and me. That's what's at stake for us and how we respond to the person who burns us. And so we asked ourselves, okay, well, then, then how? How do I say yes to what I should say yes to? How do I say no to what I should say no to? And last week's preacher that stood up here and the maniac seemed to suggest that there were reasons beyond just what's at stake that would motivate us to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And so on the off chance that last week's preacher knew what they were talking about, 
We're going to look at that today. And, and, and we're going to look specifically at the individual Onesimus. Each week we're, going to, we're zooming in on one of three individuals from this story. And this week we're going to zoom in on Onesimus. So let's take a minute and pray. Then we'll read through this letter and look at this individual. Father, just as we get started today, just pray that your spirit would just soften ours. That you would speak to our hearts. You would tear down some of the walls that we would build up against what you're going to say to us, whether it was last week or again this week. And that we would hear your truth for our lives. Father, thank you so much for the uh, just the different missionaries that we get to partner with. And just as I sat in the missions uh, commission meeting last week and just so many of them are, are really struggling right now with all the different travel restrictions. There are places they feel called by you to serve that they have served in the past. And um, just right now, the, the big issue is how in the world do we get back there? Uh, as everything is going on, um, Father, please just, if you are calling, please make a way. And um, Father, we just pray for your provision, for your protection for them. Again, help us as we explore your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this is Paul's letter to uh, Philemon, and this is the CEB. Paul writes, from Paul, who is a prisoner for the cause of Christ Jesus, and our Timothy brother, to Philemon, our dearly loved co-worker, Apphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that meets in your house. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Philemon, I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers, because I've heard of your love and faithfulness, which you have both for the Lord and for all of God's people. I pray that your partnership in the faith may become effective by an understanding of all that is good among us in Christ. I have great joy and encouragement because of your love, since the hearts of God's people are refreshed by your actions, my brother. Therefore, although I have enough confidence in Christ to command you to do the right thing, I would rather appeal to you through love. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, Anismus. I became his father in the faith during my time in prison. He was useless to you before, but now he is useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, which is like sending you my own heart. I considered keeping him with me so that he might serve in your place during my time in prison because of the gospel. However, I did not want to do anything without your consent so that your act of kindness would occur willingly and not under pressure. Maybe this is the reason that Onesimus was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, that is, as a dearly loved brother. He's especially a dearly loved brother to me. How much more can he become a brother to you personally and spiritually in the Lord? So if you really consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus as if you were welcoming me. If he has harmed you in any way or owes you any money, charge it to my account. I, Paul, will pay it back. I am writing this in my own hand. Of course, I won't mention that you owe me your life. <laughs> we'll get there next week. All right. 
Yes, brother, I want this favor from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I am writing to you confident of your obedience and knowing that you will do more than I ask. Also, one more thing, prepare a guest room for I hope I will be released from prison to be with you because of your prayers. So Onesimus, somehow, he winds up enslaved to working for Philemon in his home, in his business. And Onesimus, he wants no part of this. Wants no part of the job, wants no part of the responsibilities, wants no part of the restrictions, wants no part of the orders. He just wants to be free. The trouble is, he can't afford to be at this stage of his life. And, and he doesn't want to put in the time and the energy that would allow him to become so. Until one day Onesimus realizes, I don't have to put in that time. I don't have to put in that energy. I can have what I want right now. See, he, he has his role in Philemon's home and in his business where he has access to financial resources that belong to Philemon. And one day Onesimus is just gone. Nobody can find him. And when they go looking for him, they discover not only is he missing, so is a bunch of Philemon's money. Onesimus took it, skipped town, and he's going to live in Rome off of Philemon's money. Now, Rome is a good place for a guy like Onesimus to go. It's more than a thousand miles away from Philemon back in Colossia. It's a massive place with all kinds of crowds. He can just melt in and disappear. And Rome's the kind of place, if you've got money, you can get anything you want. It is the Vegas. It is the Amsterdam of the day. Onesimus thinks, if I can just get to Rome, then I can be free. And so off to Rome he goes. The only trouble is when he gets there, freedom isn't everything it promised to be. And he still senses something is missing. I, I, I ran more than a thousand miles to get to free, and, and freedom still isn't giving me all it promised, all that I know I want. And I think that's part of what made Onesimus so receptive to what Paul had to say. See, Onesimus runs into Philemon's Paul while he is in Rome. Which if you think about that, that is just crazy. Just stop and think. What are the odds that Onesimus is going to run more than a thousand miles away? That he's going to go to a city with a population of more than a million people at that time? And just by chance, he's going to bump into Philemon's personal friend and spiritual mentor while he's there. Like, what are the odds of that? I'd argue they are so small that, that you could probably conclude it does not matter how far you run, how hard you work to keep God at arm's length, no, 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 it doesn't matter how hard you hold on to the illusion, you're the one who's really in control of your life. If God is coming for you, there is nowhere you can go and nothing you can do to escape that. Onesimus meets Paul while he's in Rome. While Paul is under house arrest, the man can't even leave his house and still somehow 
he manages to meet Onesimus. And when he does, Onesimus just can't figure it out. Like, here is Paul. He cannot leave his house. He is literally chained up there. And Paul is the freest man that Onesimus has ever met in his life. And the the more Onesimus listens to Paul talk, the more he realizes that freedom, this isn't about my circumstances. The the, the freedom I ran more than a thousand miles to find, that's found in something that transcends my circumstances. It's found in this relationship with Jesus that Paul has. And so Philemon becomes a Christian. Excuse me, Onesimus becomes a Christian. He surrenders his life to Christ as he's interacting with Paul. And then he just dives headlong into ministry with Paul. And as they're engaged in ministry together, some of the relational dots get connected. Paul and Onesimus realize they have this relationship with Philemon in common. And when they do, Onesimus tells his story. Except that the new Onesimus, he tells that story differently than the old Onesimus would have. The, the new Onesimus, he doesn't try and justify what he did based on what was done to him. See, again, we, we talked about this last weekend. The, the first century Greco-Roman system of slavery, there were injustices there. There were things about that that were ungodly, that were inhumane. Onesimus doesn't try and justify injustice on his part because of injustice that was done to him. See, when somebody does something wrong to you and you respond by doing something wrong back, you know what we call that? Sin. What somebody else did to you first doesn't make your wrong not wrong. The new Onesimus, the Onesimus who's following Jesus now, he owns his side of the equation. Now, I say that because of something that Paul wrote about Onesimus. Listen to what Paul says. Writing about Onesimus to Philemon, he says, he was useless to you before. That's kind of harsh. Like, how can Paul say that? How can he write that? I would argue he could say that, that he could write that because he heard both sides of the story. He didn't just hear that about Onesimus from Philemon. He heard that about Onesimus from Onesimus. That as they they talked about Onesimus' past, and as Onesimus told his story, he said something along the lines of, you know, as far as masters went, Philemon was really a very good guy. But I, I took his kindness for weakness. I resisted him every step of the way, and I did a lousy job at the things that were assigned to me. And as, and as soon as As I had an opportunity, his back was turned. I robbed the guy blind and I skipped town. See, Paul could write that Onesimus was useless to Philemon, not just because he heard that from Philemon, because he heard that from Onesimus as well. And so Paul says to Onesimus, look, we're following Jesus now. We got to do this differently. I I can't have you here behind Philemon's back. That's not okay. And and you can't just stay here pretending like what took place between the two of you never happened. You've got to address this thing. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon and sends Onesimus back with it. And that's where our book of Philemon comes from. It's that letter. 
And in that letter, Paul says to Philemon, hey, you got to say no to bitterness and resentment and revenge. And when it comes to, your, to, to Onesimus, this guy who robbed you blind and skipped town, I want you to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness. Philemon, I want you to do everything in your power to be reconciled to him. And then Paul begins to write to Philemon about something else that's meant to motivate Philemon and you and me to say no to what we should be saying no to and yes to what we should be saying yes to. And we see it in how Paul describes Onesimus to Philemon. Listen to some of the things that Paul writes. Try and imagine. (laughs) Here's Onesimus. He's handed this letter to Philemon, standing in the living room together. Philemon opens his things up, and he starts reading about what Paul's asking him to say yes to and no to. He can feel in his gut how counterintuitive all that's going to be. And then he reads, I would rather appeal to you through love. I, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child. Philemon stops. He's like, what? Paul's got a child? I thought Paul was a bachelor to the rapture. Like, how's he got a kid? Keeps reading. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Wait a minute. How, How does that work? Keep reading. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith during my time in prison. And it starts to dawn on Philemon where where Paul is going here because regularly in his writings, Paul would refer to people who he led to Christ as his children in the faith. Probably did that with Philemon at times. Saying, hey, Philemon, let me tell you, Onesimus, now that he's embraced Jesus, he is like a son to me. He's like my child. Paul goes on. Writing about Onesimus, he says, He was useless to you before, but now he has become useful to both of us. Paul's saying, finally, I get it. Onesimus was a total oxymoron. You see, his name literally means useful. Mr. Useful. Paul's saying, finally, I get it. Onesimus was about as useful to you as a fart in a hurricane, right? Hey, his name makes as much sense as terms like jumbo shrimp and, and political science and military intelligence. The man was a living contradiction. But li- Philemon, he's different. He is useful to you and to me now. Or Paul will write, I am sending him back to you which is like sending my own heart. He's saying, finally, when Onesimus and I, we added up how much money it's going to take to get him back to Colossia, and I watched that kid pack his bags and walk out my door to travel more than a thousand miles over land and sea to take you this letter, it was, it was like somebody ripped open my chest, reached in, and pulled my heart out. Or Paul will say, maybe this is the reason that Onesimus was separated from you for a while. So that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. That is, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially a dearly loved brother to me. 
how much more can he become a brother to you? Of all the things that Paul is going to write about Philemon, this is the one where he, he just goes after it all together. See, see, Paul is trying to get Philemon to let the spiritual, to let the spiritual realities in his life and his relationships take precedence over the physical ones or the political ones or the social ones. Paul's saying, Philemon, when, when you look at Onesimus, it shouldn't be as a Roman citizen looking down on a slave. No, it, it should be as one citizen of heaven looking across at another. Philemon, when, when, when you think about Onesimus, you shouldn't be thinking about a servant in your home. You should be thinking about someone who is... A, a, a member of the forever family of God who you're going to share your heavenly house with. Philemon, when you think of Onesimus, when you speak to him, you shouldn't speak to him as a social inferior. You should speak to him as a spiritual equal. Philemon, don't let the perspective of this world determine how you interact with people or how you see people anymore. The perspective of heaven is meant to do that. Onesimus, he is your brother in Christ. Treat him as though he were your brother right here on earth. See, people will get down on Paul in the book of Philemon. They'll get down on him because he never comes out and directly condemns first century Greco-Roman slavery. Or they'll get down on Paul because he doesn't order slave owners to release their slaves in that world. Never mind the fact that many of them would have starved to death if he had. I would argue Paul does one better than both of those things. Paul tries not just to change people's behavior, Paul tries to change people's hearts. He tries to give Philemon a new perspective, a new vision that changes his heart. He's not going to just address the behavior at hand. He's going to try and change his heart so that when there's another set of circumstances where some of the details are different but the same foundational heart issues are at play, we're okay. Because we dealt with the heart back here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to manifest itself over there. He's going to try and change the heart so that when he's not there standing over his shoulder, making him do the right thing, he's going to do the right thing anyway because he has a changed heart. Huge lessons for parenting there. He's not just going to address this set of circumstances, this behavior. He's going to try and change his heart. He's trying to give him a new theology on humanity. This is who we are in Christ. And here's the ironic thing about this. Paul's theology on humanity, who we are in Christ, as the early church embraced that and fully lived into that, that is what brought slavery to its knees and to an end in the first century Roman world. He changed people's hearts. There's something so powerful to that. It changed Paul's world has the power to change our world. Some of the issues we are wrestling with in our culture today 
I will tell you right now, the solution is not in legislation. The solution is not in politics. The solution is not who you're going to vote for either side in November. The solution is in changing people's hearts. Helping people embrace and live into the theology that Paul is talking about here. This is what it means to be human. This is who we are in Christ. When I see this person, I don't just see what they did to me. I see what Jesus did for them. I don't, I see somebody through the eyes of redemption. I see them through the cross. I see someone the way Jesus, Paul's saying, finally, can't you see Onesimus? Jesus loved him so much when he was at his worst. Jesus still said, this, this man is worth dying for. Finally, treat Onesimus in light of the cross. See him the way that Jesus sees him and then treat him in light of that. That changed his world. So then Paul writes to Onesimus and to Philemon and to you and to me. He says, hey, when that person burns you, the very real temptation is going to come up to, to go bitter and resentful and to respond with revenge. But your job as somebody who's following Jesus is to say, I'm, not, I'm saying no to this. I'm going to say yes to mercy and grace and forgiveness. I'm going to push these things across the table onto their side. And I'm going to do everything within my power to be reconciled to them. And I'm going to do that, especially when I'm struggling to do that, when, when I'm feeling burned by that person. Because I see. I see not just what they did to me, but I see what Jesus did for them. I see the inherent value they have as a human being, value that was screamed out to the universe as Jesus died for them. I'm going to treat them the way that Jesus would have me treat them in light of the cross. That doesn't mean I ignore it. Doesn't mean I ignore their wrong. Doesn't mean I sweep it under the rug. Paul didn't do that. He was very clear about what Onesimus did. But I... I he didn't just see Onesimus for what he did. He saw him for what Jesus did for him. And he saw him for who he could become if that redemption had a chance to really take root in his life. And there was just, there was so much at stake in the midst of all that. Beyond what we talked about last week. Again, just think of Philemon here. Think of what Philemon's response is going to communicate to everybody who's watching. Because everybody, everybody in Philemon's family knew what Onesimus did. Everybody in Philemon's church knew what Onesimus did. Everybody in their town knew what Onesimus did. And, and here comes Onesimus with his letter, walking back into Colossia under his own power. Everybody in town be talking about that. Like, what? That's Onesimus. What is he doing here? Doesn't he know what Philemon could do to him? Hey, what will Philemon do to him? They're all on the edge of their seat just watching, just waiting to see 
How is Philemon going to respond? If Philemon allows himself to go bitter and resentful and vengeful, it communicates a very clear message to everybody who's watching. That message being Onesimus, who you are according to our culture, that overrules who you are according to Christ. Onesimus, I see you in light of what you did to me rather than seeing you in light of what Jesus did for you. Onesimus, your ability to sin is greater than Jesus' ability to redeem. Onesimus, your ability to bring wounds to bear on my life exceeds Jesus' ability to bring healing to bear on our relationship. See, anytime, anyone, Philemon, you, me, anytime we allow ourselves to go bitter and resentful and vengeful, that's the message we communicate to a watching world. And they hear it loud and clear. And they think, you know, for all their talk about Jesus and all their talk about church, they're no different than anybody else as far as I can see. They can keep their Jesus. They can keep their church. I can find that kind of ugly any place. But just stop and think. What if... What if Philemon went the other direction? Like, what if he saw Onesimus through the eyes of redemption? What if he got himself to a place where he would see Onesimus the way that Jesus saw Onesimus and then respond in light of that? Onesimus is standing in his living room just bracing himself for what's coming. Because in that world, Philemon could have had him beaten, literally could have had him branded as a runaway, could have had him executed. Everybody in town knows he's there. Everybody's just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it doesn't. And, and then they see Philemon and Onesimus living in the same house again. And working in the same business with each other. And going to the same church and worshiping together. And folks in town are thinking, what happened there? Like, what in the world could have brought those two back together again? What do they know that I don't know? What do they have that I don't have? Whatever it is, I might need to get some of that. See, saying yes to mercy and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation, it communicates a radically different message to a watching world. So, as we finish, let me ask you. Do you have an Onesimus in your world today? Do you have somebody in your life because of how they treated you they're useless to you. And when it comes to your Onesimus, how do we see him? Do we see him the way our culture tells us we should see that person, or, or do we see them the way Jesus says we should see him? 
Do we see him through the eyes of redemption? And what could happen? What could happen if we learn to see our Onesimus in light of redemption? What could happen if, if whenever they came to mind, we were aware of what we were thinking about that person and, and we spoke truth to ourselves about who this person is because of the cross? And then we chose. Whether we felt like it or not, we chose to live in a way that reflected that truth, that theology. What could happen in our hearts? What could happen in our relationship with that person? What kind of message could we communicate to a watching world? Now, is any of that easy? Heck no. <laughs> That's some of the hardest stuff you will ever do in life. And here's some more good news. That'll cost you big time. And so next weekend, we're going to talk about why in the world we would be so crazy as to pay a cost like that. As we look a little bit more closely at a guy named Paul. Paul.